This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest this week, he might be the harbinger of the future for all we know, a fellow by the name of Dave Askins. You might know of him through his work at the B-Square Bulletin. Dave, thanks for joining us on Big Talk. Thank you so much for having me. Dave Askins, he doesn't work for a newspaper. He doesn't work for a TV station, doesn't work for a radio station. Heck, he doesn't even work for a big internet corporation. He works out of his home. So, Dave, you're a reporter, you're a journalist. Are you the future of journalism? Goodness, uh, maybe so. I don't know. I, it is my future uh, for the next couple of years anyway, I think. Huh? Uh, to be doing this sort of work in this particular way, but I'm not sure that it's necessarily something that will catch on and be adopted uh, throughout the country or even uh, even in Monroe County. I, I would certainly like to expand my one-man operation to include other people. I would like to lead an entire newsroom using this model, and I think it might be feasible, but uh, we're not quite there yet, and I guess we'll see. The B-Square Bulletin, which uh, started off its uh, relatively short life so far as the B-Square Beacon, and in the hazy, not-too-distant past, Dave, you changed it from the Beacon to the Bulletin. That's right. What you do is basically cover local news. Well, more cover local government. That's right. So I try to specialize in a narrow enough area that I can cover the topics that I do write about with some depth and with some authority, as opposed to trying to uh, spread myself as wide as, say, uh, a general uh, purpose publication uh, would do. So it is, uh, right now, a specialty approach. I cover primarily, I would say, city government and county government comes a close second. I don't write about everything that there is to write about in those two areas. Uh, there's a lot more to cover that I don't cover in county and city government. But yes, you're right. That is, that is the focus, local government. Now, when I say you work out of your home, that doesn't mean you're there 24 hours a day because I know you go to meetings and so forth. About how often in the week do you get out to a committee meeting or a full council meeting or a what have you meeting? Well, you know, since the pandemic started, uh, it is fairly accurate to say that I work mostly out of my home. With these Zoom video conferences, it has meant that I've sometimes had no reason to leave the house for, for a whole week at a time. Uh, and I have to remind myself that there is uh, there's someplace else to go besides sitting in my own apartment. But, you know, today, for example, I, I walked the half a block over to the Monroe County Courthouse to talk to the county auditor about an issue. And I actually look forward to getting out of the house uh, and going over to the courthouse to sort through some, some claims issues that I was curious about. So it's hard to say how often I get out because the pandemic has, uh, has changed the yardstick for that, I think. 
sometimes you need to be reminded to get the heck out of the house. Well, sure. I would say that in order to do my reporting, it is really important to get out and to see the places that I'm writing about. One of the things I think readers of the B-Square Bulletin might have noticed is that I, I put a great deal of importance on place. So it doesn't always mean that I'm going to give you a photograph of a place, but uh, if I do take a photograph, one of the things that I try to pay attention to is making sure that you can tell where that's happening. So if it's a choice between a close-up of a person's face that might show the human emotion and that same person a little further back where you can see, say, in the background, the intersection that's behind them. I'll go for the, the shot of the bicycle rider with the intersection as opposed to the close-up of the, uh, the bicycle rider showing exertion on their face. Because location and place, to me, is, is a big part of what local journalism is about. It's what I place the, I would say, the, the greatest weight on. So if there's a development proposed at a location, I want to go out and visit that location so I understand what the context is, even if I don't run a photo with it. Um, I'll probably run a map instead. Anytime there is a story involving a location of a future change to the landscape, I will build a map every single time because to me that is the most basic element for a story like that, that I, I feel like I need to share with readers where it is. So, you know, of the standard WH questions that journalists try to answer, I would say where for me is the most important one. You know, it's funny you should talk about uh, the images because the last three posts on B-Square Bulletin, and by the way, you can get to the B-Square Bulletin very easily. You go online and you go to B square bulletin be the letter squarebulletin.com simple as that in any case the last three posts you made are graphs in fact i i, I think that that's uh something that the b square bulletin brings to the table that other news outlets uh don't when uh, i think the very last uh, article that's posted is the one about police staffing levels and police calls uh, in the context of annexation. So uh, really, that entire article could be summarized as the police union chief says some things at annexation hearing, here's the data behind what he said. And all of that data that, uh, that I used is publicly accessible data. Um, it's one of the things that I think uh, the city of Bloomington does a decent job at as a local government. They provide lots and lots of data sets uh, in something they have branded as the Be Clear portal. And they've also put together, uh, well, they didn't put it together, they hired a company to do it, um, but it's uh, a financial uh, portal that includes payroll data that uh, you can basically ferret out all of the uh, payroll information for any category of uh, employee, including sworn police officers and you can verify that the things that people are saying about police staffing are basically true. And you can actually find out more stuff than the police union chief described. So one of the things that emerged uh, when I plotted out the numbers based on the payroll data, I uh, was able to plot the time of service for individual police officers from 2013 up to now. Um, so one chunk are the current 
the sworn officers, and in the other chunk, that's the officers who are no longer with the department. And what you notice is there's this very ragged corner of that chart, and that reflects the relatively high turnover among the very most recent hires. Hmm. So uh, it seems like over the last, say, two to three years, there have been a large number of police officers who've been hired and then left after a very, very short time, uh, some, you know, a month or two months only. That's what it looks like according to the payroll data. So to me, that is a part of the story. It's a more nuanced part of the same story that the police union chief was talking about. His basic story was uh, we're losing officers as fast as we can replace them. And I would say, yes, that's true. And a lot of the lost officers are coming from the very most recently hired. As you can see, when Dave Askins goes into a story, he goes into a story. I have spoken with a number of uh, people involved in city government. Almost to a person, they have said that you file an enormous number of records requests. What kind of things are you looking for when you're filing these requests? Are you looking for dirt? Are you looking to topple an administration? Or is it less dramatic than that? I would say anytime I file a records request is because there's a, a question that should have been answered at a public meeting that did not get an answer at a public uh -huh. meeting. So it's not dirt that I'm looking for. I'm just looking for a clear understanding of how a decision was reached. Uh, say, for example, as they did last Wednesday, the Bloomington City Council decides to convene a meeting that was scheduled to be in person. They convened it in person, but an hour before the meeting, they sent out a press release saying that it was a possibility that maybe there would be a motion to recess and then reconvene by Zoom. They didn't mention explicitly that the in-person component would be canceled. They, they sort of left that to the reader's inference. I had to call the, the city yeah. council's administrator slash attorney to confirm that really what this means is you're canceling the in-person component, right? And he confirmed that, but that's nowhere in the press release. So when they did that, I said, well, what has changed since 11 o'clock in the morning when they sent a press notice saying, if you're going to attend this thing, you need to make sure to arrive early because space will be limited due to the pandemic protocols. So at 11 o'clock, the story was space will be limited. We're holding it in person, but you need to make sure you get there early because their approach was we will handle the public health risk by limiting space. And they, they did limit it really severely. I mean, if you're familiar with City Hall, imagine right. on, only 20 seats laid out in, in the regular area. I measured it with a, with a tape and it, it was eight feet on center between the, the chairs. So they went, uh, you could argue, two feet beyond what the CDC recommendation is, only 20 seats. So something between 11 o'clock and two o'clock changed so that uh, they decided they were no longer gonna hold the, the meeting in person. Of course, they had to convene it in person legally, which was their position, even though apparently people were told on arrival that the decision had already been made, that uh, they, they could not go into the city council chambers. 
So when something like that happens and council members can't answer a simple question like what changed, records requests get filed. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that you measured the seating distances because when I talk to people, I hear from them, do you know this Dave Askins is the kind of guy who actually brought a tape measure in and measured the distance between the chairs in council chambers? You are a detail person. I think that's fair to say. Well, I mean, I want to know for a fact that what I'm reporting is true. I don't want to rely on uh, a general impression or what somebody said was true. I was there on Wednesday. I went back on Thursday to measure because I wanted to just confirm what the distance was as opposed to saying, well, it must be somebody measured it. I'm sure they did six feet or at least six feet. I mean, the fact that they went for eight feet uh, on center, I mean, I haven't looked up the CDC guidelines to see like if it's a seat, do you measure from the, the right arm of one chair to the left arm of the other chair? Is that how you're supposed to do it? In which mm -hmm. case they would have nailed like six feet or is it supposed to be between the, the center of the, uh, of the seat of the chair? I don't know. Either case, they, they met <laughs> whatever criteria there would have been. It's a funny thing. There are several independent news operations going on right now. And you know, there's a lot of complaint about what has happened with the Herald Times, for instance, being sold time and again. And now it seems to be being dismantled in a way. So the independent news sources are more important than ever. Do people like you and, say, Jeremy Hogan, the photographer, say, Ron Ead, the publisher and editor of Limestone Post, has there been any thought, have there been any discussions between all you independent news gatherers and disseminators about getting together and maybe pooling resources? I've not been a part of any uh, discussions of, you know, among local independent journalists along those lines. I run into Jeremy Hogan from time to time, not that often really, at events that we're, we're both covering. And it's not that often because we cover sort of a, a different angle of the community's life, I would say. Jeremy covers a lot of uh, breaking public safety news. So police responding to calls, the fire department responding to calls. I mean, that's by no means everything that he does, but that's a lot of, of what he does. That's the kind of thing that I uh, would absolutely say that is not a part of what I aim to cover. I mean, if, if something is unavoidable, if it happens literally in my backyard and it unfolds in front of me, I'll cover that. But that's not, I don't consider that to be a part of my core coverage. And so from that point of view, I would say that, you know, it's not like we collaborate. We've never had a conversation about this, but his interests allow him to cover a piece of the community that I'm not covering. And, you know, my interests, say, uh, digging into a data set and plotting out stats, that's not something that he likes to do. So in our own way, we're, we're serving the community about as broadly as we would even if we collaborated. But I would say Jeremy Hogan and I do serve the community in our own particular ways in a way that doesn't really overlap all that much. As far as trying to put together some sort of consortium, I, 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 don't, I don't know what that would look like. 
Um, financially speaking, I mean, to me at this point, I would need to see some clearer path to financial success than the one I'm on right now, which seems to be pretty stable. I wonder, maybe a guy like you, an independent guy like you, maybe you really would prefer to work alone. I wouldn't necessarily say that. I worked in a newsroom out in South Dakota with uh, basically three other guys, uh, one other reporter, the managing editor, and then the sports guy. And I enjoyed that collaboration with those guys. I worked uh, really very closely with my wife up in Ann Arbor when we were running something called the Ann Arbor Chronicle. It was an online publication very well with a similar focus to what I'm doing here with the B-Square Bulletin. And certainly that required, well, I had to work with the co-owner of the, of the enterprise. Uh, and when you're married to that person, you have to figure out a way to uh, separate sort of work and sort of personal life so that you can make objective judgments about what's good, what's acceptable, what, and, you know, we, we edited each other's pieces. Would I rather be alone? Well, I mean, it depends on what the alternative is, I guess. It depends on who the other people are uh, that I'd be working with. And I come back to the point, I really do think that this funding model of voluntary subscriptions, uh, people contributing uh, as much as they think is appropriate, that could fund a full newsroom for this community. I mean, I think there's enough rooftops. I think the interest in the community for solid local uh, journalism of the sort that uh, I'm offering for a very small segment of the community, government, if I were able to offer the same level and depth and thoroughness of coverage for, say, K through 12 schools, for the local business community, retail, real estate, uh, for uh, Indiana University, uh, for prep sports. Uh, I mean, to me, uh, high school sports and even middle school sports, that is a part of the crucial fabric of the community yeah. that deserves to have attention lavished on it in great detail. I would love to lead a newsroom where we have a sports guy who doesn't cover IU, but just covers high school and middle school sports in Bloomington and got to know who the players were, who could tell you, oh, you know, it was significant that that player got uh, substituted for in that situation. And it can tell you why that happened. The funny thing is... It in a lot of ways, I think what you're describing is what's keeping the Herald Times alive at this time, because they do cover, to an extent, the uh, uh, school sports, the games, and in a lot of ways, that's what's drawing people to the newspaper during these rough times for it. That may well be. I mean, I... I... I can't say that I, I read the Herald Times on a regular basis. I sometimes will search the uh, Monroe County Library's archives through the online news bank. If there's something that I'm trying to find that was written you know, decades ago, I'm trying to get some perspective, that's my general interaction with the, the Herald Times through the, uh, the very old archives. So, Well, you know, earlier you made reference to your wife and 
she was with you. It was the two of you when you two arrived here in Bloomington. The two of you ran what was then called the B-Square Beacon. She had to peel off. She took a job with the uh, Chamber of Commerce. And now you're alone. So did you, at that time, have a feeling that, oh, no, this is going to collapse because Mary's gone? No, well, let me correct the, uh, the understanding that you have of what the B-Square Beacon was in the beginning. Okay. So at the, ver- at the very beginning, I took out the domain name basically as a way to have a place to park some stuff that I might or might not be writing about in Bloomington. So I figured there would be things that, that I or maybe Mary would want to write that would, need, that would need to find a home somewhere in the online world. And so that was the point of, of taking out the domain and, and setting up uh, the website. So it was never the intent that it would become a way of earning a livelihood for anybody or that it would be even uh, sort of a regular news outlet. Mary Morgan did put together um, a voter guide for the primaries, and she basically applied her journalistic skills in doing that, and it was a pretty straightforward transition from the nonprofit that she was running uh, up in Ann Arbor just before she moved down here. It was called Civ City. Uh, The Civ City Initiative actually was the complete name of the nonprofit, and a, a big part of what the Civ City Initiative did was uh, promote civic engagement. And so a voter guide was something, I mean, she put together extensive voter guides up in, uh, up in Ann Arbor. So doing that for the primaries here in Bloomington was, was a straightforward task for her. But I mean, it, it, it was not my intent to earn a livelihood here in Bloomington as a journalist. It certainly was not Mary's intent to do that. It was not at all the case that somehow uh, she abandoned ship and left me to my own. I mean, it, was, it wasn't really anything until basically I determined I was not going to be able to find an actual job here in Bloomington that I said, <laughs> well, I guess I will fall back on something that I think I do pretty well and see if I can't adopt the Ann Arbor Chronicle funding model basically to, uh, to a one-person enterprise as opposed to a two-person enterprise. Now tell me, how did you get interested in journalism? I got my start in journalism uh, when I built a teeter-totter in my backyard in <laughs> Ann Arbor. And uh, it was built as a, as a wedding anniversary present. And I thought, well, I need to get more mileage out of this than just as a wedding anniversary present. And so this was back in the golden age of blogging, like in the mid-2000s, maybe 2005. I invited a couple of people over. I sent them written invitations. Uh, it was, I think, December. And I figured, well, they're not going to say yes now, but they might say sometime in the spring. And uh, lo and behold, the owner of one of the local bars that I sent an invitation to, she said, yeah, I'll do that right now, next week. And then it snowed six inches and she still came anyway. <laughs> and, the, uh, and that was the first edition of the blog called Teeter Talk. And I basically every blog entry for that uh, blog was simply a portrait of the person uh, straddling the teeter-totter opposite me. So I, I took the picture from my end of the teeter-totter of them. And, uh, and then the blog entry was a transcript of, of the interview. 
that was my my first effort uh, in the world of journalism. Where then does the Dakota experience fit in? We founded the Annenberg Chronicle in 2008. We ran it for six years, and it basically paid the bills for six years, but it was uh, you know, a full-on effort, uh, every waking moment kind of thing. And so that level was not sustainable. And so we ended the Ann Arbor Chronicle, and basically I decided that I was pretty tired of Ann Arbor generally, not just, not just reporting on local government there, but I was tired of Ann Arbor. So I got the heck out of there and went to South Dakota. It wasn't like I said, I want to go to South Dakota. It was that uh, the Madison Daily Leader was a newspaper there that was willing to give me a job. And so I went out there, and then after about six months later, I uh, moved to the Peer Capital Journal, which is the capital of South Dakota, the thriving metropolis of 14,000 people. Um, (laughs) So Mary Morgan did not follow me out there. She visited a couple of times, but she was not persuaded that South Dakota was the place she wanted to spend a big chunk of her life. And so we decided that uh, Bloomington, Indiana would be a good geographic compromise between Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Pierce, South Dakota. I mean, it's where we met like over 30 years ago. We were both in grad school. It wasn't like we just randomly picked uh, Bloomington, Indiana. For those of us who have only read the name of that city, we might think that it's actually Pierre. But as you say correctly, it's Pierre, the capital of South Dakota. Yeah, it's one of the ways you can tell if you're not from there, right? So. Right. This is a good uh, a good segue into sort of what makes a, a legitimate local journalistic enterprise, right? If you arrive in in Pierre, South Dakota, and if you refer to Pierre all the time, people are going to say, "Well, okay, you're not from here, and you're also not a very fast learner." The local pronunciations of words, or just what the actual names of things. Are. I mean, that's really important for credibility of, uh, for a local journalist. I mean, right. a couple of weeks ago, I gave a presentation to the Bloomington Press Club, and one of the things some of the folks there uh, brought up was a gaffe that the Herald Times had committed. I'm not sure it was the Herald Times. Maybe it was one of their contributing folks through Gannett. But uh, the point was they referred to the local university here as the University of Indiana. Oh, um, you know, that's a bad mistake. I don't think it's a fatal mistake, but it's a sign that, okay, no one with a, with a local knowledge of, of the landscape uh, looked at that uh, story before it got published. Right. Um, and I think it's, it's really important that, one, you don't commit gaffes like that, and two, that you, uh, you have the sense to know what is a good story for this community. He's a detail-oriented fellow, and that's good when you're a journalist, and that's what Dave Askins is. Dave Askins is the person behind the B-Square Bulletin. Now, you get to the B-Square Bulletin by going very simply to the letter B, square, bulletin.com. It's online. It may be the future of journalism. Dave Askins was our guest here on Big Talk. Dave, thanks so much for sharing some time and sharing some stories. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a delight. 